pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're thankful for each one that has taken the time to assemble here together. Lord, we ask now that you would accept our worship to you in the songs that are sung, in the offering that is taken at the end of the service. Lord, in the special music that the little children are going to give to us, Lord, most of all, in our obedience to your word, through this coming week, that we may live a life of worship to the God of gods, the God of heaven, the Savior, the one who paid for our sins with his own blood. We ask that you would help us during this time to bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Beautiful hymn of the faith. And we pray as we sing those words that it is truly well with your soul. And if it is not, there is an answer for your soul. People have often said, well, what is church all about? Uh, Church scripturally, a local, independent, visible assembly of believers is the body of Christ doing His will to reach the world with the gospel. Each church has a responsibility into all the world. One of the practical applications, I like to think of a church as a hospital where sick souls can be healed. And uh, that is what church is about. It's a place where well souls can exercise and expend energy serving the Lord. Uh, The church cannot save you. People say, I I need to be baptized so I can go to heaven. Wrong. It, It doesn't work that way. You need to be saved so you can go to heaven. Baptism is just a testimony of the work that God does in saving because churches don't save. Churches didn't die on the cross. Jesus did. Amen? But once you're saved, what are you supposed to do? That's where the church comes in. That's why the church is so important. It is the context for your Christianity. And uh, that's not the sermon this morning, but uh, I do want you to know that it cannot be well with your soul, according to the Scriptures, without you being physically attached and physically serving the Lord through the ministry of a local church. Amen? And uh, that is why we are here. And this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And if you like titles for the message, the title for this morning's message is, They Have Taken Away My Lord. John chapter 20 is the resurrection story. And as we come down here to verse 11, the women have already come to the tomb. The sepulcher is the Bible word. Uh, They have come to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. Immediately Mary uh, uh, Magdalene runs back to tell the disciples and to bring help because of what has gone on. Unbeknownst to her, the other two uh, women have seen the angels there and they have been told that Jesus is risen. Mary comes back with James and John. They look and they leave. And then we pick up our, our reading in verse 11. Mary, it says, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. 
And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've read through this passage, and on Thursday nights we're working on uh, going through the entire gospel story, a harmony of the gospel record, and reading this, and that phrase just jumped out of the page. I said, i got to preach on that. And they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. How many of you have lost something really important to you? I mean, it's just gone. How many have had that happen? I mean, knowing that it's gone, and of course, how could we compare the Lord Jesus to any physical possession that you might have? I'll tell you, they're running these commercials. Uh, I, I hear them on the radio. I don't watch TV and and it says, you're standing there watching your child and you turn around and they're gone. I'll tell you, even on the radio, I'm just sitting there. <sighs> I hope I'm not driving when that commercial plays. I mean, it just get thinking about that. And here Mary is weeping at the tomb. And when she is asked why she's weeping, she says, they've taken away my Lord, I've lost Jesus. I don't know where they've put him. And that sounds a little silly when you put it that way now, doesn't it? It never dawned on Mary that he could be risen from the dead. And this morning, I want us to go through some of these responses to the resurrection. And before we get started, I, I want you to understand we're not here to criticize Mary for what she did. That's not the point at all. She didn't have the Bible. But I want to challenge you this morning. I believe you'll find yourself in this sermon somewhere. And as we get started, I also want to challenge you. You don't have the excuse that Mary had, that Thomas had, that Peter had, as we look in these lives. Because you can open up the Bible and read the entire story written out. Yet I've heard people say, it just seems like I've lost Jesus in my life. It's like he's not working in my life the way that he used to. And uh, let me just also give you this uh, conditioner here. You know, when I preach a sermon, I, I don't often, I usually do not write out all my illustrations and someone uh, on, on several occasions, people say, Pastor, you were talking about me up there. Uh, I want to challenge you in over 27 years of ministry. I'm probably not talking about you, but somebody just like you. Would you just give me that opportunity? Uh, because we're all very much alike, are we not? And the things that go on went on here. And this story is recorded because not one of us would physically say they've taken my away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him because we're not seeking the body of Jesus today. He is risen, amen? But many times as we travel through life, we feel like we've lost Jesus. We've left him somewhere. And I want to tell you there's, there's some reasons why Mary was thinking this way. And I see these same reasons in the lives of People here in this auditorium, in my own life, in people I have spoken to over the years. And I want us to be challenged this morning to keep our hearts fixed on Jesus. 
You see, Mary was overwhelmed. We use that word. Uh, I like the word consumed by experience. What had Mary just experienced? The Bible record as we follow this thing says that she was with that group of women who stood afar off. They did not want to see all of the shame and, and, and things of the crucifixion, but they were going to get as close as they could and they were going to be a part of this because they loved Jesus. They knew that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. They believed this. And yet they watched him die. Do you think that would challenge your understanding of God? I mean, one of the main claims that Islam tries to make in understanding the Bible, oh, we believe the Bible. Well, what about the part where Jesus died? Well, God can't die. Well, my Bible says he did. Well, that part's wrong. Well, what about instead of changing the Bible so you can understand it, Ask God to give you a little bigger understanding so you can believe the Bible. Amen? I, I mean, I, I like that way a whole lot better than the other way. You wouldn't do that with anything else. Uh, I used to be an auto mechanic. I used to uh, rebuild engines. And, and uh, one of my major accomplishments was I, I rebuilt... Uh, um, a six-cylinder diesel engine, the block weighed nearly a ton, just the part where the pistons go up and down. I mean, it was a big engine. And uh, I'll tell you what, I did not go to part of the instructions that I did not understand and say, you know what, I'm just going to make this a little simpler so I can understand it. I'm going to forget about the part about how many microns clearance there needs to be between the crankshaft and the main bearings. Now, how many of you know what would happen if I had done that? You might get the engine to rotate once or twice, but that 200-pound crankshaft that was nearly five feet long would have broken in pieces. And if you were close enough to catch a piece, it may have broken you too. A sheet of paper is five thousandths of an inch thick. And you had to maintain between two and three thousandths of an inch clearance in the main bearings. And that all had to be the same and it had to stay the same. Say, how did you do that? Oh, I'm smart. No. I wasn't smart enough to do that. I went and got my friend who was a trained, college-trained diesel mechanic, and I said, you help me do this because I want to do it right. I can't afford to mess up this engine. Now, why would we do the same thing with the Word of God that we would never think about doing in the real world? Are we still together? You see, what we need to do is just believe what the Bible says. And when this brain isn't working to believe, then we got to get some help. Say, oh, that's where pastor comes in. Wrong. That's where the Holy Spirit of God comes in, my friend. Say, well, what's your job? I, I, best way I know how to describe myself, I'm the signpost. I get into the Bible and I point you in the right direction, but the faith has to be yours personally. It cannot be mine given to you. That won't work. And Mary was confused. How could she not be confused? How could she not be overwhelmed and consumed with circumstance, thinking only about how Jesus, her Savior, had died on a cross and it was over? He had been in the tomb for three days. You see, she believed, 
that she should do the best that she could. Maybe she was thinking about that other Mary, the sister of Martha, who had anointed Jesus just one week prior. Saturday night after Sabbath was the dinner when Mary anointed Jesus. And what did Jesus say? He says, you have anointed me before time to my what? Burying. Maybe, maybe those words had sunk into Mary Magdalene's mind and the other Marys that were there. And they were coming to the tomb to put spices in the tomb and anoint the body. You see, when bodies die, bad things happen, don't they? That's why we put them in a tomb. That's why we shut them up and remove them from us. And without the embalming fluids and all of the things that we have today, the only option they had was they would stock the tomb with spices so that when they would weep by the tomb, not to get gross here, but when they would be there remembering the person who had died, they would not smell the corruption of the body. They would smell the spices. It was just a lot more pleasant. You see, they want Mary wanted to do for Jesus what she could, just like the other Mary had already done. That was foremost in her mind. I want to honor Jesus in a special way. They say that kings would have hundreds of pounds of these spices loaded in their tombs as they were sealed in them. But if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm just off the top of my head, I believe Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea brought half again that much, about 150 pounds of spices. And here we have Mary and the other women bringing more. They wanted Jesus to be honored as he was the king of the Jews and the king of the world. We can at least honor him in his death. Was that not Mary's thoughts? Now, I'll tell you, we here in the United States, and rightly so, have very harsh penalties. And there are very few people that get away with grave desecration here in the United States. That is a serious crime. If it happens, they get caught. Because there isn't anybody that likes that kind of stuff going on. I mean, there's all kinds of crying people do that nobody reports, nobody tells about. But I'm glad still in our society that when a grave is desecrated, people report what happened. I mean, there's, there's evidence given, there's things done, and, and these people are brought to punish. But this is what Mary thought when she went to the tomb. She didn't even go in. She thought that the tomb had been desecrated. She didn't know who. She just knew they had done it. Well, they didn't do anything. I, I like the way one preacher said it, and I've repeated it. And I, if I knew who, had, who I'd heard say this, I'd give him credit, but I don't remember the name. But the stone was rolled away from the door, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could see in. There was a Roman seal on that door. Any human being that broke that seal was under the penalty of death from Rome. But that angel floated down out of the sky in the, just before morning and scared those soldiers to death as he picked up that stone that may have weighed 5,000 pounds, as much as a large, full-size car used to. And it says he rolled it away. Uh, the idea there is 
How many of you have ever found an old tire and just picked it up and rolled it away? I mean, that would be something that you would have the ability. A tire only weighs 30 or 40 pounds, and you would be able to pick that up. But here an angel picks up a 5,000-pound stone and rolls it away like you would something 30 or 40 pounds. I'd say that qualifies for some pretty incredible strength, would you not? And they run away. And Mary is there looking and she runs back and gets the disciples. He's missing and Jesus actually comes up behind her while she's talking to these angels. And her emotional distress is to the point to where she doesn't even recognize that these angels are angels. And then the voice comes behind and she believed that it was the gardener and said, if you can tell me where he is, I'll take him away. I'll take care of the body. Jesus needs to be taken care of. Because dead bodies can't take care of themselves. He just says one word, doesn't he? He says, Mary. And immediately she recognizes where her missing Lord is. But I want you to read carefully with me as we go down to verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabbani, which is to say, Master. Verse 17 of, of John chapter 20. Then Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. Now, I wish we actually had thought about taking the time this morning to just preach on this first point, but, but I want to keep moving if I can. When she recognizes Jesus is risen from the dead, he says, don't touch me. We read Matthew's account, and the other women that were with Mary met Jesus and held him by the feet, a symbol of submission and worship. But here Jesus says, don't touch me, because I have to ascend to God. Now, if we were to take the book of Hebrews and the book of Leviticus and, and put all of these things together and understand this is the week that precedes Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. It is still celebrated by Jewish people all over the world. Even though there's no temple. In the olden days, in the days... Uh, of, of Solomon the king, there was a temple in Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed 600 years before Jesus was born. But in that temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And sitting on the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat made out of solid gold. One piece of gold formed with hammers into the shape of cherubim overshadowing on high and this void or empty place underneath the cherubim's wings on top of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. It was there in total darkness. Once a year that the high priest would come in with blood of a bullock, a young bull for himself, and he would sprinkle that blood seven times in that spot. And then he would come back a few moments later with the blood of a baby goat representing the entire nation of Israel, and he would sprinkle again the blood on that spot. The fact that he lived to complete that ceremony was proof that God had accepted it. And he would obtain an atonement. The Old Testament word is atone. 
Uh, the idea is the rolling back of the judgment date. Is the pacification for today. The New Testament word is redemption. That is the purchase price paid. The Bible tells us that Jesus sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. I want to challenge you today as we just look at a few moments here at Mary that we often think in terms of what we can do for the Lord. That's why Mary was there, was it not? She wanted to do, and what she wanted to do was right and good and honorable. It should have been done if Jesus were still dead. It should have been done. You see, but it is not what I need to do for Jesus. I cannot help Jesus. The number one reason being... I'm a sinner. The number two reason, and most important actually, is because he doesn't need my help. Have you ever tried to, have you ever had somebody try to help you do something you didn't need help to get done? I mean, often little Joey or Jason, they'll see me carrying, oh, Daddy, can I help you carry? No, it weighs more than you do. Let me help. And so I'll set it down and let them put their little hands on it. And you know, most of the time they end up pushing down and actually making something heavy, just a little heavier. But as a father, it's good to encourage the little ones in doing things, even if they only think they're doing things. And so often that's where we are with God, is it not? But he wants to use us in his service, does he not? I mean, that's what the Bible says. And as we're trying to help Jesus, the load gets heavy and we get weary and we say, why, why isn't Jesus doing what he said? Well, it's because we're doing something that we ask him to do. We're trying to help him when it should be the absolute other way around. See, you can't take away your sin. But how many of you have tried to do something good to make up for the bad that you've done? Don't, don't look at me that way. You have. Every one of us have. That's what human nature says. And we wonder where the Lord is in all this and why our plans don't make things better and why people don't uh, respond to our, our, our work. It's because, friend, it's all about Jesus and what He can do for us. It's not what you can do for Jesus. He told Mary, I have to ascend to my God and to your God. I am going to finish in heaven the plan of God for redemption that was laid down before God said, let there be light. It is your job to believe in me, not to help me, not to give me a hand. Not to do the best you can. You see, only Jesus could pay the price for my sins. It's his blood that is sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. Jesus does not need me. We need Jesus. And when we are overwhelmed with circumstances in life, 
when we are confused, when we maybe like Mary, just lay down on the ground and weep and say, I don't know what's happening. They, it's all falling. Wait a minute. They didn't do anything. He rose again from the dead. Amen? Can you get a hold of that today? We're always worried about what they are going to do. They didn't do anything. Jesus rose again from the dead. It's all about him, my friend. Not about you. Let's take a few moments and look at Thomas. Just stay right there in John chapter 20. And let's skip down to verse 24. That first resurrection Sunday evening, Jesus had appeared to the disciples. Verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of those nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Do you realize that this is the only place in the entire scripture where that phrase is used? Nowhere else, no other person said, I will not believe. But Thomas did, one of the twelve. You know what that means? There's hope for you. There's hope for me. Amen? If Thomas can go that far and come back, God is in the bringing back business. Amen? Eight days the next Sunday evening. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I refuse to give up Sunday evening services. The first church services were on Sunday night because Jesus appeared to the disciples and eight days later it was Sunday evening again. He appears and Thomas is there and he pulls back his robe and says, here's the place where the sword went in. Put your hand in there. Here's the prints of the nails. Feel them. Did Thomas have to do that? No. Look what it says. Verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now sometimes we just get consumed with circumstances. Things are just swirling around us. Uh, we, we just feel like Jesus is not there. He's not in control in essence, we cry like Mary. They've taken my Lord away. When they didn't do anything, Jesus rose again from the dead. Amen. How many of you have ever been consumed with misunderstanding? The tempest was in your head. Anybody been there? I'm not talking about being taken to a special place where very nice people do nice things for you. I'm talking about just simply being overwhelmed in your misunderstanding and you cannot think through the situation you find yourself in. That's where Thomas was, was it not? He could not understand, and even when the other disciples told him about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They said, we've seen him. He's, he's alive. Thomas said, I only understand, I mean, I only believe what I understand. That's probably not very much. But that's where I am. You ever met anybody like that? If I can't make sense of it, I want no part of it. Well, that's so foolish. There are so many things we do today and enjoy today that we don't understand. There are very few people 
that really understand how an air conditioner works. But how many of you are glad they're working this morning? Uh, makes the auditorium at least comfortable. There's lots of things we don't understand. Thomas said, I didn't see, I didn't perceive, I don't believe. And Jesus then says, blessed are those, blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. You see, Mary was consumed with circumstance and she was going to do the best that she could. Thomas, he was just simply consumed with misunderstanding and he wasn't moving until it got cleared up. He was not going to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead until he had proof. A lot of people are going to miss heaven following in Thomas's footsteps, are they not? You see, it's not about who you are and what you understand. It's about whom Jesus is. I had a guy actually say this to me one time. He says, yeah, but you guys, when you try to understand everything, you just put God in the equation and it always works because God can do everything. I wanted to go, yep. How much thinking does it take to figure that one out? But you see, God is not an invention of my imagination. God is the creator of the universe. He is the author of this book. He is the author and finisher of my salvation. Would it be such a miraculous thing that the God who created the human mind might just be a little bigger than it is able to con conceive and understand? Is that shocking to anyone here this morning? Uh, it shouldn't be. A person who programs a computer, is, are they not, in essence, smarter than the computer they program? Yeah. People were all worried about machines taking over. I'm not worried about machines taking over. I'm worried about people who program machines trying to take over. That's what I'm worried about. But you see... Jesus is bigger than any machine or any programmer or anything man can conceive. Thomas was concerned about himself because he couldn't understand it. He wasn't going to go any further. I want to be concerned about Jesus and I'll let him shape my understanding because he knows a little bit more about what I ought to be doing than I do. Could we say amen to that? That one's hard because I could ask you to raise your hands. How many of you found yourself there this week? And almost all of us that were honest would raise our hands and say, there are things I didn't understand. Well, could we not take this morning and just allow the word of God and the life of Thomas to challenge us to stop relying so much on our own thought process to figure it out and let our faith in our life and our direction rest in the Savior. Amen? Let's move to the next one. John chapter 21 the disciples have now moved to the Sea of Galilee, possibly not very far from where the whole thing started nearly three and a half years ago at this point. And Peter looks at the 
other disciples in the first verse and says, I'm going fishing. Jesus is on the shore. And a very famous discourse, people like to do all kinds of things as they are eating dinner and and breakfast actually and Jesus is conversing to them. He looks at Peter and he says, Lovest thou me more than these? You know, Peter, you're the one that said you love me more than anybody else does. Do you still feel that way? Well, Peter had denied that he knew the Lord three times, didn't he? And all he could do is hang his head and said, Lord, thou, thou knowest I love thee. Twice more, Jesus would ask Peter the same question. How do you think Peter felt about this time? Lord, do you have to remind everyone that it was three times I denied you by asking me three times, do I love you? Lord, do you you just have to to put your thumb on that sore spot and apply some pressure? I mean, I'm not going to cry in front of the other apostles. Though he did that night, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was an emotional man. I I think he was choking it back here on this third time. And, And he finally says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love you. Why does the Lord do that to people? Because it is so hard to let go of yourself. See, Mary was consumed with circumstance. She was doing the best she could. Thomas was consumed with a lack of understanding and he refused to understand things that did not make sense to his own mind and his own perception. He was not willing to allow anything in that he didn't put there. And Peter was still so wrapped up in his own failures that he couldn't take his eyes off himself and put them on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when this whole thing is over... Jesus is going to tell him, listen, when you're old, somebody else is going to dress you and take you to a place where you don't want to go. And John signified that they all understood that Jesus was saying, this is how you're going to die for my name. I don't know about you, but that would be encouragement to me because I know I would end well if I died for Jesus' name. Amen. But what did Peter do? He looked over and he said, what's that guy going to do? What's John going to do? What's going to happen to him? And what did Jesus say? Verse 22 of John chapter 21, Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. It's not about your service for Christ or even your lack thereof. It is not about your successes and it's certainly not about your failures. What it is about is are you going to follow Jesus today? Are are you going to follow Jesus tomorrow? You say, how in the world do I know if I'm following Jesus? Well, get in line today and you've got about a 99% chance of being where you want to start tomorrow. Amen? That's how simple it is. It's not a complicated thing. How easily we get out of the way. How easily we get consumed with circumstances. How, How little it takes to confound our thought processes and stop us in our tracks 
and not allow us to take another step forward in service to God. How many failures does the devil have to bring up in your face to get you to stop serving God and start thinking about what a rotten person you are? Did God save you because of all the good things you can do? Or did he save you because he's God and you need saving? I think the latter one is more true, amen? I think sometimes it's harder to let go of our shortcomings and our failures than it is to let go of the circumstances that, that just consume us and swirl around us. You see, we have so many things that stop us in our service for Christ. And by the way, this would make a very excellent short list of reasons why people never get saved, would it not? People don't get saved because they're too busy or too consumed with life to trust Jesus. It doesn't make sense to them, just like Thomas, so they're not going to do it. And one day they realize it's too late, but when it's too late, it's too late forever. And I can't tell you how many times people have told me, Pastor, i got to get this straightened out and then I'll get saved. No, it doesn't work that way, my friend. Nobody can straighten anything out but Jesus. you got to bring the mess to him. But, but what does he want with my sin? He paid for it. He's the only one that can take it away. It's not what you can do for Jesus. had a conversation recently. said, that's what you don't understand. People think about church as what they can do to help our church or to serve in our church. That's not what our church is about. Because the church is supposed to be about Jesus. It's what He can do for you. It's what He wants to do through you. It's about Jesus. It's nothing, nothing about you. You see, once you get saved, the same problems that kept you from getting saved will now keep you from serving Him. That's why I often say, Jesus wants you to live for him the same way you got saved. Now, please don't raise your hands, but I know some stories out here. Some, uh, some people go through a great deal of inner turmoil and struggle before they can get saved. I mean, it just feels like their soul is splitting in two by the time they finally get to the point to where they can let go of themselves and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they wonder why, like Peter, Jesus is going, do you love me more than these? Do you still think your love is greater than everybody else's? Because it's not, Peter. Three times you denied me, three times I'll ask you. And Peter is still saying, now what's, what's, uh, what's John going to do? What, what do you have him? And Jesus said, don't you worry about John. Don't you worry about Peter. You follow me, and I'll take care of it. You see, worship isn't something we just do on Sunday. It's something we're supposed to live. It's supposed to be as much a part of you as your salvation is. That's why worship, it's supposed to be the natural response to God for what he has done for you. But all of us are worship hindered. Why? 
Well, short list. Circumstances, thinking, and failures. That's why these stories are here. To let us just see what the scripture says. Praise God, every one of these three had the victory. And you can too. But it only comes when we get rid of us and embrace Jesus. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would allow us to see in the mirror of the word. Not the image of Mary weeping at the tomb. But our image if we're overwhelmed with circumstance. Not Thomas saying I will not believe. But us falling on our knees saying my Lord and my God. Not Peter on the verge of just total emotional distress at Jesus' question. Not focusing on others, but simply determining to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. Lord, I've preached this sermon this morning primarily to those who are saved. That you would open our eyes to see where we are and what's hindering us that we may serve you more. Yet, Lord, if there be someone here today that is not sure about their salvation, pray that they might even see themselves in these life stories and understand why they have not been able to fully surrender to the Lord and find what the Bible says is true salvation being born again the Bible way. We ask that during this invitation, Lord, the Holy Spirit would have sway in souls that we may live for you this coming week. Your word to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.